This is Mako President Jerry Walker, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here, Mako's Policy Associate, joined as always by my co-host, Mako's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about a significant development in road funding for uh, Maryland's counties. We're also going to talk about the Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act, the BRFA, which has been a hot topic this week. Then we'll get into the long-anticipated not-commissioned bill. This is, it has to do with school, school construction funding. And then we'll talk about school security, which has also been a hot topic over the past week. Michael, let's jump right into it. So in the space of a day last week, the whole conversation around local roads funding changed. Yeah, so this is, this is our, our highway user revenues conversation. And if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of months, you may already be, be tired of us talking about local road funding and thinking, you know, these guys go on and on about local roads week after week. The, the fact is, that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is, this is like a nine or ten issue, year issue for, for local governments. In the summer of 2009, when, you know, the economy was falling apart and the state budget was falling apart with it, that's when we lost most of our share of state transportation revenues. And ever since then, this has been the, the sort of the, the fiscal gorilla in the room between the state and local governments. Whose responsibility is it to pay for all these roads? Right. And so it's been our top initiative for, as you said, many years. And it seems now that there is some sort of deal in the works. House Bill 807 has been amended in the Environment and Transportation Committee. Apparently, there is a deal with that committee's chairman, the chairman of a Appropriations, the Speaker of the House, and the President of the Senate. Yeah, even the Senate leadership is has apparently signed on to this. So this is more than just a small development. This this may have just tipped from being an issue where we had our head in our hands saying, what do we do next, to suddenly, like, this might be done. So let's talk about the deal that's on the table. So apparently this is a five-year funding plan that would start in 2020. This right. year would be unaffected, right? We'd still have to advocate for our, our yeah. transportation grants. So the, so the state budget debate right now is for fiscal 2019, mm-hmm. and the governor has proposed an extra layer of grant funding. A lot of that comes back to counties. That's something we value. We'll try and defend keeping that in this year's budget. The legislation they're talking about would affect the following year. So in the 2019 session for the 2020 fiscal year budget would be the first year of this effect. And their proposal is county funding is going to basically double. Right. So about $58 million uh, would be the total on the table right now. So that's about $30 million or so, $30 million extra for five years, so $30 million a year for five years. Yeah. And let's get into the specifics here. So this not only affects counties, it also affects municipalities and, and Baltimore City, of course. But you have been you know, in the room and you've heard about these negotiations and whatnot. What, what is your perspective here on, on this deal that's on the table and what it means for counties? Well, I, I think, you know, as we've talked about this issue in, in previous podcasts, we sensed that this issue had broadened. Mm-hmm. We, we, there were multiple bills put in. Over the last few years, we've seen different champions 
uh, you know, say, I have this idea or I have that idea. I mean, this year, I lost count. It must yeah. be seven, eight, nine different bills put in with different timetables or how high is the goal or how fast do we do it and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, different versions of the same thing, but it's been both parties. It's been both, you know, metropolitan and rural legislators saying it's time to make a fix here. I, I think the impression that this is not a localized issue, this is something that affects every community, eventually sort of wore down the argument that that's a it's a tough lift and it's a difficult difficult things to fix. So you end up with the legislature, you know, the legislators in the House leadership, particularly saying it's time to try and pull something together. And it may not be the full solution that some folks are asking for. And I mean, this this doesn't fully restore county funds, not even close. Right. But, but doubling the level of commitment, you know, going from about 30 a year to about 60 a year for the counties. I mean, that, that's move that moves the needle. Yeah, it's it's certainly significant. And I guess, you know, there has been a different feel this year in terms of highway user revenue, you know, restoring at least some of those revenues. And, and as you said, you know, there's been multiple bills in a lot more conversation than I've seen in the past about this yeah. issue. So, you know, I felt like maybe this was the year they may do something, but this is the deal that's on the table. So I guess, is this basically a, a done deal? Is this the best deal that is probably going to be on the table? I, I mean, I think what, what we're likely to see is this bill will probably be on the floor of the House of Delegates Monday or Tuesday of this coming week. So we're in early March. There's time for, for things to, to, to flow around. But it's, it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're just a little bit ahead of the budget itself moving. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's decision time on fiscal issues. And we're going to talk about the budget reconciliation bill hearing and so forth. It's, it's, time, it's time to, you know, get, get off the stick and, 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 and make some decisions on things. Um, I think there will be some questions about you know, how did you arrive at this magic spot? Mm-hmm. But the idea that that you know the the ENT committee at Environment and Transportation that has primary jurisdiction over transportation funding reached out and worked with the Appropriations Committee. That's that who that's who does the budget writ large, and and also coordinated with the Senate leadership to sort of say if we pull this together, is this something that the Senate's going to be able to work on rather than have it be a whole new debate over there? Right. That that all that came together before they moved anything suggests that this may just happen. This may be a, this, yeah, this is the deal you're going to get. Right. So all the stakeholders in the General Assembly came together here beforehand and made sure that everyone was on board before this deal was presented. And, uh, you know, I think that maybe this will be the best deal. But, you know, you mentioned that there is still a lot of time to work some of this stuff out and we'll see. But right now, what we're seeing and what we're hearing is that $30 million extra for five years. And, um, and that's certainly significant. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's welcome the amount of attention and the amount of effort that's gone into addressing this issue. We have a number of people who have been champions on it. And this is, again, both parties, mm-hmm. urban and rural, uh, not, a lot of legislators who knew this was the right thing to do and put pressure all through the session. We've had folks here at the MAKO offices talking strategy, uh, getting grabbed in the hallways about who else can I talk to? I want to talk to my committee chair. I want to talk to somebody on the ENT committee. They seem to be working on this. That's, that's encouraging to have people that are that committed. Absolutely. It's a uh, majorly important issue for local governments. And, you know, talking about this issue, this is a sign of things starting to come together in the fiscal plan. And 
Michael, you just came from the Burfa hearing. Um, and what was your impression of how that went? I watched that testimony. Uh, you were there with Mako's president, Jerry Walker, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought you all did a great job. But what was the impression that you got from that hearing uh, for local governments? Yeah, so this is this is the Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act. Uh, it's the bill that rides along with the budget itself. The budget bill is just the spending plan. And anything you need to change in law or authorize a fund swap or transfer of monies into the general fund or other things like that, it sort of brings the whole fiscal picture together in one big omnibus bill that does, you know, 20, 30, 40 different things. Um, So in this this setting, I've been in the past over doing this for a lot of years, I've been in, in hearings on budget reconciliation bills that were really heated, really controversial, went on for hours and hours into the night and you know, a lot of debates and, and that sort of thing. Uh, this year, both both the Senate hearing on Wednesday and we're recording on Friday afternoon earlier today in, in the House, um, this was quick to the point. Uh, a number of people had had their suggestions and their changes and so forth, but it was a very succinct presentation by the budget secretary, mm-hmm. by the legislative staff, and really by most of the interest groups. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, as, you know, in the Senate and the House, it was very short. There weren't a lot of questions. Um, and in years past, we have seen a ton of questions, you mm-hmm. know, basically grilling uh, some of the witnesses that are out there testifying. But, you know, this was very short and sweet. And we raised two issues today, right? Right. So, I mean, one and and uh, faithful listeners, hats off to you. Uh, we'll, we'll remember we've been talking about this, the cost shift for the state assessment uh, department, they, all their employees and all their functions and equipment and so forth. Uh, you know, this this bill has a proposal to shift up to, you know, it becomes a 90% cost share for county governments, um, just the counties, not municipalities. That's a little weird. but And, and right now it's 50%. Yeah, so it would, it would, it would, but it would make this the overwhelming share of the fiscal responsibilities on county governments. Meanwhile, we don't hire the staff. We don't make the decisions on what equipment to use or to buy. We don't make any of the tactical managerial decisions. We just pick up the check. Mm-hmm. And instead of it being 50-50 to go to 90-10, effectively says that the state who manages and oversees all this really has virtually no skin in the game. Right. Uh, and that, you know, that just as a matter of, of properly managing government, we have big troubles with that As- aside. You know, there's this philosophical issue of, you know, if, if eventually it becomes a responsibility of the county governments to make all these decisions, and I, I think that's the direction this would go, mm-hmm. then then you end up, you know, we use this phrase, the fox in the hen house. Right, right. <laughs> so, so and and up, really, right now, Maryland is looked upon as as getting this right, right? Nationally, right. we're known for getting right. this issue right. Right. I mean, people from around the country, you know, even in Guam, they're all looking at Maryland yeah. saying, we got this one right. So, Guam is definitely yeah, looking yeah. at Maryland and, and saying we got it right. So, all right, so there was another issue raised today, Michael, and you raised it. There were a few questions about it. Let's get into to how that went today and, and talk about that second issue. Yeah, th- there's there's a clause in the budget reconciliation bill, and it's it, it also appears in a standalone mandate relief bill that the administration has introduced. I mean, the, the argument here is 
should you should you give a catch-all clause to say various things in law that have a formula or some other structure that that oblige state spending should you give a catch-all waiver when times get tough and the economy looks weak so there's sort of like a circuit breaker here where you, you know if you don't have certain growth you don't right. have to 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 fund that mandated spending right. so so counties are a, a big stakeholder in this because there's quite a number of functions at the county level where the state makes a contribution, and by and low, by and large, those are guided by these various formulas. I mean, the, the the example we ended up talking about the most at the hearing today was local health health departments, and I think it's a fair one because they're targeted by this reconciliation bill. So, I mean, what what I think what Mako has said and county governments have said about this idea, this is not a new idea right. to to do mandate relief of one form or another. This is sort of an executive branch, legislative branch tug of war. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, that has a partisan element, but that has not always been the case. We've had executives of the Democratic Party who right. feel the same way. Right. Said, boy, I'd like to not have to do as many things as this legislature would have me do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've historically come down on the side of things in statute mean you have to have a public debate to 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 decide this year we can't afford to do it so like today that the the burfa hearing that gives you the forum and other advocates who would like to get the burfa amended or or advocate for their positions on the burfa that gives them the venue to do that right. if we adopt this proposal uh, that's that's on the table that the executive branch would like to to see come to fruition. That forum would be gone, right? And that's that's a function of Maryland has this peculiar budget process mm-hmm. where every dollar in the budget has to come and be proposed by the governor. It's an executive budget process. No other state has anything that really looks and feels like this. But what it means is. And you know, like back to the local health departments as 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 an example, this year uh, they they have a formula in state law that says each year they're supposed to get a little bump in their funding so they can keep up with population and cost of living. Mm-hmm. And this year, governor has proposed in the Burfa bill. Um, I know that's the mandate, but I want to skip it for this year on on account of affordability. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but for him to do that, he puts it in a bill and says, it's a contingent cut in the budget, pass my bill and I'll cut the money. Mm -hmm. The legislature now gets to have a debate. Do we need to fund it or is it no longer affordable this year? And do we pass the Burfa language that the governor has proposed? Right. And then we as counties or as health officers can show up at that hearing and try and make the case. Uh, you've got to keep the money in or no big deal. We'll let it go. Yeah. You got to have that public hearing so that as you, as you mentioned, counties can show up and other advocates can show up and that the legislature can hear from the folks that would be most affected by the proposed cuts in, in the, the Burfa. Right. And so, I mean, back in the early 1990s and forgive me for, for trying to you know make, make some dinosaur arguments when people were just walking around with stone tablets and yeah, so forth. I don't forth, know how but, you did it. But, then, it, but, yeah. but in the early nineties, the local health department funding was not mandated in state law. And when things got tough, the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene at the time was told by the governor at that time, Governor Schaefer, we need to make budget cuts. And they said, well, we'll just cut local health departments by half. And it was done. Right. Because the governor just proposes a budget with fewer dollars in it and it's over. There's no there's no way for the legislature to debate whether that's a good cut. And there's no public forum for stakeholders to show up and say, I wish you wouldn't do that. 
So our two arguments here are stop the shift. We don't we don't think it's right to to shift SDAT 90% of the costs onto counties and keep the public forum available for this this process so that advocates can come and they can have their seat at the table yep. and and express why whatever they want to be cut or not cut is 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 you know the right. reasons that they want to do that. Right. So so this so this is the big process as the legislature starts to frame its whole p- fiscal package, uh, the budget reconciliation bill is the is the administration all-purpose proposal. But this also effectively becomes sort of the toboggan that you can load up with any other provision. If something came up in a budget hearing, and you know we can make a little, we can save a little money in this provision on state employee health insurance, you just toss it in the burfa. You don't right. need to introduce a brand new bill and have seventeen extra bills that ride along. You just put these provisions into the budget reconciliation bill. You pass it all at once, and that'll be coming together in the couple weeks ahead. Yeah, things should start to move quickly now with the budget process. We'll certainly uh, keep you updated on what's going on there. But I think uh, in terms of, of MAKO and in terms of our, our roads funding and the BRFA bill, significant updates this week. Yep. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll get into school construction and school safety. All that and more after the break. Back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. And now we'll jump into school construction legislation that we have been waiting to see for quite some time. This is all about the Not Commission. They were charged with looking at school construction funding, how to best build schools, efficient costs. And it's worth mentioning that this is one of MAKO's legislative initiatives. We are advocating for strong and smart school con- school construction funding. So keep the keep the funding strong and, and spend efficiently. And we saw this bill. It's a 31-page bill. There are a long list of provisions in the bill, but I think when you dive in, there are a fair number of issues that this commission talked about that um, they decided they're going to take a little more time and study before they make final recommendations. And I think that's probably a a good idea. Some of these issues need to be worked out. Uh, They need a little bit more time and a little bit more finessing before they can make a final decision. And I mean, there's a whole process that led up to the introduction of the bill. Mm -hmm. And this is something we've been following for two years now, that that for for around two years' time, the commission itself has been having its meetings and doing its own analysis of where we are in school construction, what processes are working, you know, where can we save money, where can we save time, how can we do some things, you know, more efficiently and, and so forth. They've been they've been all over the map on things to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came back and said they needed an extra year for more time to look at look at issues. So this wasn't a this wasn't a 2017 session issue. It became a 2018 session issue. Mm-hmm. The parallels with the Kerwan Commission looking on 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 you know day to day funding is is uh, are, are kind of strong. But uh, so and then the the interesting thing is the commission had its final meeting back in December. 
and nominally issued sort of an interim report. And then we drummed our fingers and waited for a final report and still didn't quite know how many of those things were going to end up in legislation. Because the world of school construction is kind of this weird mix of process and regulations and structure and then legislation as well. So how much of it do you need to put in a bill to make changes? Well, evidently a lot. 31-page 31, <laughs> 31 bill. And I think one of the issues that they decided needed a little more time was one of the issues that was being talked about a lot here in Annapolis. And that's um, the not commission, and I think most people would agree that we should rank all of our schools and we should go in and assess the condition and, and see who needs the most help. But one of the big questions was, how will you use those rankings to influence funding? And that was a contentious debate, I think, here in Annapolis and around the state. And the, the commission decided that they needed a work group to decide how they'll deal with those rankings as it uh, as it deals with funding. So yeah. if they want to tie funding to who needs the most help or if there's a formula that they would rather use, right. I think that's probably one of the one of these ideas that does need some more time and it's it's smart for them to go ahead and take that time rather than rushing and making a decision that could backfire on them. Yeah, I think that's it's it's a classic case of the devils in the details, mm-hmm. right? I mean at the one sentence or two sentence level you would say, we should go out and look at every school and do an evaluation of where are their systems, how's their maintenance look, is the building in good shape, right. or is there a big need coming up, that sort of thing. And, I mean, who's going to say, oh, that sounds like a bad idea. We don't want to know the condition of our school buildings. All right, so fine, we all agree. Let's let's harvest the information so we have good systemic maintenance information on on the facilities. Then it turns into... Well, now that we have all this, we could probably sort the schools. We could mm-hmm. turn it into these are the these are the ones that are in the most desperate need, or these are the ones that have been tended to the most recently, and so forth. And then, wow, this gets a little bit tricky yeah. when you start saying, "Wow, here's a jurisdiction that's been making a big commitment to keep their schools in good shape, and they get a high grade for maintenance, and they've been doing what I mean, what most of us would probably say." the right thing mm-hmm. by continuing to commit to ongoing maintenance. And now it turns out, well, you're not in the dire need, so you're going to have to wait for funding. The place next door that's been doing a lousy job, their, their stuff's falling apart. we got to rescue them. Right, and, and that that's part of this debate that's been <laughs> ongoing. And, and I think that, again, this work group to, to work those details out it's probably a really good idea. Um, they also delayed major decisions on funding, although they did say that we need to keep this commitment strong. And yep. they, they want, you know, $400 million. They set that as a goal, which is more than the state is funding school construction right now. And then once they decide uh, what the final number should be, they'll come back and say, here's what we think. But until they make that final decision, they're saying at least $400 million. That should be the target. Right. And, I mean, the lay of the land here is that every year – the school systems come to the state with their list of school projects that they think, you know, the population requires this. We are we are over capacity in these current schools. We need either this expansion, we need a new school, we need an old one to be replaced and, and modernized and so forth. The, the number of school projects that are defensible, that are basically ready to go, that are you know, supported by the demographics and the number of students and so forth is way more than right. what the school what the state is able to fund in any given year. So we're not we're not like manufacturing, let's spend money and then let's see if there's something out there to spend it on. Every year good projects go unfunded. Absolutely. So some of the other issues uh, that they, they put into this bill, technological advances for more efficient and innovative schools, streamlined compliance review and project deliveries 
best use of buildings in districts with declining enrollment, uh, regional school construction projects, which you know would include P3, public-private partnership zones, and regional career and tech schools. Michael, one of the other things that was in this bill that I think um, is, a, is a major issue are eligible costs. Yeah, this this is this is sort of a, a thorn in the side of local governments. I think going way back, and the commission spent some time on this. Uh, didn't didn't exactly nail down and say we've solved this, but th- the question is: the state makes a contribution to the cost of a school project, mm-hmm. and then has a definition of these are the things we're willing to pay for. Okay, that's fine, but. Everybody knows that if you're going to build a school building, you have costs up front just to lay it out. You need you need to spend money on architects and engineers and site design and planning and so forth. I mean, that's that's part of a project. Sure, those are right. those are costs. Right. And if and if if you've got a 50 or 60 million dollar school project, that might be 5, 6, 10 million dollars mm-hmm. of a project like that. Uh, the state for for policy reasons that are decades old and and they may or may not be good reasons but the state says those are not costs that we participate in that's entirely on you locals you do all the upfront work you do all the site design and the architect and engineering and then we'll start helping with the bricks and the mortar right so let us know when you're finished with all that that stuff in the beginning and then come to us and we'll start giving right. you the money here's for... your 50 percent. right so like uh, you know there's a there's a number of jurisdictions where the state county split is 50 percent, and you're thinking wow a 60 million dollar school project that's going to be 30 million from the state and 30 million from the county sounds pretty good yeah a 50 percent county will tell you uh the usual split is more like 70 30 yeah. uh, and that the state contribution will be a whole lot less so that's 60 million dollar you know the state's in for 19 right <laughs> right so it's good that i guess they're they're looking at this issue and as you said it's a decades old these are decades old right. policy uh issues that that go way way back so i guess on one hand it's, it's really good that they're looking at this stuff now yeah i mean the change isn't in this bill and i think that would have been controversial and and and, and maybe made it a little difficult to swallow, mm-hmm. but I think it's something we continue to be interested in. And there's a pretty good fairness argument that that all, you know a larger share of the costs ought to be on the table as a split. Absolutely. So uh, we do have a really great summary that was written by our colleague Robin Eilenberg. It's on our website, on our blog. Uh, it's conduitstreet.mdcounties.org. You can just search not commission, and, and that'll come up. But fantastic summary of a 31-page bill. If you don't want to read the whole bill. Which you don't. You don't. She breaks <laughs> it down, and she does a fantastic job. So check that out. Yeah. I mean, one thing that you mentioned along the way that the counties have been interested in here also is this idea of compliance reviews. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a potential for a good split between the larger and the smaller counties that might make sense for everybody. You have the state. The state has staff that they can look over the plans and designs and sort of sign off that everything fits the education specifications and all the standards that we're looking for in our school buildings and that, and that sort of thing. So right now, the state staff has to review or effectively is reviewing every single project, mm-hmm. even ones that there's already been a substantial review at the county level. So you know some of our largest jurisdictions, the Montgomery counties or Baltimore counties or Prince George's counties of the world, I mean, they're big jurisdictions. They're in the school building business. They know how to do this already. They've already made the exact same checks with quality people who know what they're doing. And then you sit around for eight months and wait for the staff people to basically just check your work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, to the extent that time is money and in an environment of escalating costs, that's true. Uh, The idea of 
let's find jurisdictions that have this level of staff already, let their sign-off suffice, and skip that extra intermediate step. And then, meanwhile, if you're Caroline right. County or if you're you know, Somerset County and you've got a school, the occasional school project, but you don't have the staff locally to do that evaluation, the state will step in and do it for you and they'll lend their expertise I think you get the best of both worlds. I there. think that's such an important point because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution in this area, right? You have some counties that can do this and then some who are really reliant on the state to provide that service. So it's going to be important that they strike the right balance and, and don't try to implement a one-size-fits-all solution there. But yeah. I think it's heading in the right direction in that yep, regard. I think so. All right. Now let's get into another really hot topic. Um, uh, for unfortunate reasons, there was another uh, school shooting in Florida and um, just awful, the the scenes coming out of Florida. But, you know, we've seen this across the country, and it's just terrible. Um, but it has garnered significant conversation here in Annapolis. And Governor Hogan announced some school safety initiatives this week. He wants to provide $125 million for school safety enhancements, plus $50 million in annual grants. And um, he has emergency legislation to create statewide standards and um, support for some issues such as, um, you know, again, enhancing safety in schools, increased coordination among schools and state agencies and law enforcement, and keeping firearms out of the hands of the mentally ill and individuals with violent criminal records. All right. So there's there's multiple pieces to this. And to the extent that part of this debate is about our schools and the facilities, the mm-hmm. buildings and the, the systems we have around them, and, and making sure we're doing all we can to make those safe places um, that, you know, that's that now you've got county governments and our school boards as, as stakeholders. So, so, you know, this is something that not only is, is it interesting and important, but it, it affects county budgets and our priorities and, and so forth too. Um, the, the notion of let's find some emergency funding, actually like literally just today, mm-hmm. uh, the governor introduced a supplemental budget. We've talked about the budget process, but this is the way the governor can, can add components to the budget he's already um, introduced. He said, he said 5 million bucks for this coming year's budget as, as add on funding, uh, half of that going for grants to go back to presumably the school boards mm-hmm. that you're going to need to do some things to, to do some measurement and find out where we are, what do our systems look like, right. make that a funded mandate. I mean, Hey, we, we beat we the like drum, that, yeah. we beat the drum on unfunded mandates. So that's, that's put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. The other, the other half of the money going for getting the team in place, that's going to sort of be the clearinghouse and, and oversight over a, a school safety program. So he's, he's committed to this and that's already put this in play in the budget discussion. So the $5 million is, is, is certainly he's committed to that, and that should be a done deal. The interesting part of this is that the other money that we talked about first, the 125 and then the 50, this proposal says that that money will come out of this so-called lockbox. And we've talked about the right. lockbox proposals before. And, you know, just to give a quick refresher, the, the revenues that the state gains from casinos and slot machines, all the gambling revenues, there are proposals on the table to put that in a separate fund, a lockbox. And the proposals that we've heard said that money is going to go on top of the current funding that the state has. So that money's already been spoken for. But now we see this proposal that also takes the money out of the lockbox. So it's very interesting. It's a very interesting policy discussion about 
how can you take this money out of the lockbox that's already been spoken for? Right. And I mean, fiscal issues get this way mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. that um, and this is this is why the education trust fund has been confusing to a lot of citizens and has been puzzling to politicians is oh, what what did it mean when we took casino revenues and we put them into an education trust fund? Right. Well, that money's being used for education. Does that mean it's all all above and beyond what our old formula said? No, this was this was the revenue that's basically making it possible for the state to live up to the Thornton funding promises. Okay, I mean, reasonable people probably can and will disagree on on, on how that has worked and, and whether that's a good fit. But now you've got a situation where, I mean, this is a new baby bird in the same nest, mm-hmm. and, and there's only so many worms to go around. I mean, however, however you want to slice it, the, the, there's something like four or $500 million of net revenue from casino operations. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to say that's our new education commitment in, above and beyond in years going forward. And as we talked, I, I think it was last week, we talked last week that the governor has one vision of how to do it. The legislature has another vision that that'll work itself out over right. the course of the session. But right. however you structure that, if the idea is this money is separate for the above and beyond, if you introduce a new fairly costly thing to do with the above and beyond money, what does that come at the expense of? What are those other baby birds? It's it's um, pre-K funding. It's career and technical education. It's mm-hmm. more teacher training. Mm-hmm. All these things that the Kerwan Commission has been looking at mm-hmm. and that education advocates are are basically, they got their knives and forks in their hand. They're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're ready for the next wave. But at the same time, it's obvious that we need to prioritize school safety. So I think it's a very interesting idea. And I, I think it's hard for the education advocates to come out and say, no, don't do this. You know, this money's already been spoken for. But, you know, it, it's an interesting discussion. And um, I think that obviously this is a great idea. We've seen some counties already committing money to to enhancing schools. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the wake of all these terrible, terrible mass shootings, um, it's really good to see the governor committing uh, to enhancing public safety at our schools. The legislature has a number of proposals uh, in the works and in forms of legislation that would uh, enhance right. safety as well and local government. So everyone coming together here to do the right thing is an awfully good thing to see here in Annapolis. Right. So on, 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 on policy grounds and fiscal grounds, this is one of those things that that's going to take some time in, in the weeks ahead. Um, governor's got a proposal and that, you know, that, that's a, that's a call to action. Uh, legislature's got to figure out where this fits into a, a puzzle that's already tough. I mean, remember this, this idea of putting money into the lockbox isn't a matter of there's new money falling out of the sky and, oh, heavens, what are we going to do with all this wonderful new money? The fact of the matter is if you say this, this that the, the casino revenues are not available to fund our current education commitment, you now have a hole in the boat in the base budget. That's so, a problem. Yeah, so so you gotta you gotta you gotta figure that out along the way too. So a lot to figure out here, but bottom line, everyone wants to make the commitment to make sure that our students are safe, to do the right thing in that regard, and um, and that's that's certainly a good thing. So we're into the month of March. We've been talking about fiscal issues coming together. We're a couple of weeks away from the crossover deadline where, you know, the big flurry of activity for bills the legislature wants to pass are supposed to be making progress out of committee, onto the floor, out of their house of origin. Uh, This has been 
this felt to me like the first sort of breakneck speed week. And mm. this business with the highway user revenue deal popped out of the sky in the space of a day. Yes. Our nine-year fight went from top of our priority list to maybe it's done for the whole year. Um, that's what March tends to be like. Yeah, and I will agree with you. It was certainly fast and furious this week, and we'll see the same moving forward. We have lots of bills to testify on. We're still analyzing a lot of bills, and we're out there advocating. We're fighting for the counties. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Conduit Street Podcast. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however you listen to the podcast. It certainly helps us get our message out. And until next week, Michael and Kevin signing off. We will talk to you soon.